Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. I recently had the pleasure of seeing a relatively healthy 69-year-old gentleman in my practice. This man sees me periodically for checkups because he's taking an immune-suppressing medication for an autoimmune condition. He's doing well, but I noticed at our last visit that a few things had been added to his medication list. In addition to the few medications that he does take, he's also now taken coenzyme Q10, a supplement that naturally occurs in the body as an antioxidant, as well as a multivitamin and a probiotic that promises to restore balance to his gastrointestinal bacterial microbiome. When I asked him what prompted these changes, he told me his wife had been reading some information on the internet and she felt like these supplements would be beneficial to him based on her research. According to a recent Gallup poll, something like half of the entire country regularly consumes a vitamin or mineral supplement. Nutritional supplements and vitamins are a multi-billion dollar industry. Chances are you may be a past or present consumer of supplements. And where does the science stand on all this? Are supplements safe? Are there some supplements we should be considering and others we should be avoiding? Today's conversation is all about the many faces of health supplements. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin. Our guest today is Dr. Michelle Crowder Davila. Dr. Crowder Davila is a naturopathic physician practicing in the Southeast Michigan area. She's closely affiliated with Beaumont's Integrative Medicine Program. And she's also a clinical adjunct professor with Oakland University's William Beaumont School of Medicine. The conversation today is about the health supplement industry in conjunction with the growing medical specialty of integrative medicine. We'll discuss what integrative medicine is, and we'll cover a few topics regarding different kinds of supplements, including vitamins, minerals, and herbal supplements, the good, the bad, and the overrated. What should you look for when you're choosing various supplements? We'll get some recommendations from Dr. Crowder Davila on specific supplements we should be considering for ourselves. And before it's all said and done, we'll have a little fun exploring the fact and fiction surrounding certain popular supplements. This will be the part of the conversation that directly relates to things that people might try to peddle on social media, for instance. With that, I welcome our guest to the show. Michelle, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Good to have you. So can you take a moment and tell us what you do and how you came exactly to be in your chosen field? Like you said, I'm a naturopathic physician or naturopathic doctor. Um, and basically what that is, it's a, a holistic system of medicine that really seeks to understand the reasons for disease and dysfunction. Um, rather than, you know, kind of covering up symptoms or getting symptoms go to go away, which, you know, we do want to happen, but we really want to understand why somebody's having um, the symptoms. So mostly what I do in my work is... Um, I do mostly office consults with patients, and they come in to see me for particular health concerns. Um, We see a variety of different conditions. Um, Most of them are going to be more chronic, um, potentially functional imbalances and things like that, Um, just because a lot of chronic issues either tend to have a large lifestyle component where, you know, optimizing the lifestyle and overall wellness is going to benefit them, or, you know, maybe uh, there aren't a lot of conventional treatment options for their condition, you know, something like uh, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia or, you know, mm-hmm. various chronic pain syndromes. And your practice now or part of your practice now is with Beaumont's Integrative Medicine Clinic. Can you talk about integrative medicine, what exactly that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the name suggests, it's really um, the goal is to integrate um, some of these more natural, holistic approaches with kind of what I keep calling the more conventional approach to medicine, what you would get by going to a medical doctor or an osteopathic doctor, um, 
you know, kind of what most people sort of call regular medicine. Hmm. Um, and I think it was maybe in 2014, but it's it's within the last 10 years or so, I think that um, the National Institute of Health actually changed their name of that department, the um, National Centers for Complementary and Alternative Medicine, to National Centers for Integrative um, and Complementary Medicine. And that's to reflect this sort of, you know, goal and this sort of change in that we don't really consider what we do to be an alternative to mm-hmm. the conventional approach, but more of a complement and something that can, um, you know, integrate. So there's, you know, various integrative medicine has a lot of different, it's sort of an umbrella term that, you know, can um, include a lot of different types of practices, whether it's what I do, naturopathic medicine. Um, we do have three medical doctors that, um, you know, completed their sort of um, conventional residency and then also did a fellowship in integrative medicine. Um, we have uh, massage therapists, acupuncturists, dietitian. Um, we also do guided imagery, yoga therapy. Um, so there's, you know, a variety of different modalities that we use as a way to offer safe and evidence-based treatments to people that, you know, are, are interested in that but may still want to, you know, continue with their conventional therapies as well. Absolutely. So I'm excited to get into today's topic. Normally, I do a little bit of research on the topic before I, I, I bring the guest in, but um, I've intentionally sort of kept myself a little bit agnostic to some of what's going on in the field of supplements. Um, I think it'll make for a more interesting conversation. So really, what I'm going to be doing is asking questions without any kind of uh, special hidden agenda here. I'll, I'll be really displaying my own curiosity. So first off, I think before we get to anything else, let's talk about um, what a supplement is. Let's qualify what a supplement is. So what's the different, b- difference between a supplement, and I guess I'm, I'm using air quotes here, and a real medicine or a more conventional type of medicine? I think supplement has kind of turned into a bit of a general term because, you know, it might include anything that's not a prescription medication at this point, um, you know, whether it's a vitamin or a mineral or potentially a, an herbal botanical medicine or a homeopathic medicine. I think some people will call any or all of those supplements. But if we're thinking about the term supplement, I think, you know, what it was probably originally intended to denote is that you are supplementing normal function. So instead of a medication where you might be inhibiting a pathological process, so something working incorrectly in the body, like maybe the body making too much cholesterol, for example, um, or you know the blood pressure being too high, so you give a medication that's going to kind of intercept that that process that has sort of gone awry. Mm -hmm. Whereas something with a supplement, it might be more like you have a deficiency in magnesium or you have a deficiency in essential fatty acids or something like that. And so you are giving this substance as a supplement to the normal function to improve normal physiology. Now, is it true that, and again, my own curiosity on display here, is it true that there's a a difference in the way the FDA sort of handles supplements versus more conventional medicines? A lot of supplements that are out there are not necessarily, they don't have the same rigorous FDA approval process versus a conventional medicine. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And so that is a huge issue and one that we're very aware of. Um, Yeah. um, I think it was in 1994, the um, dietary supplement, um, 
Efficacy and Accountability Act, I think it's called. I can't remember the exact term, but there was some legislation in the 90s that basically um, created a situation where all of the supplement manufacturers were allowed to kind of police themselves, so to speak. And so there's no standardization by the FDA in terms of how you know they need to be creating their quality control processes or their manufacturing processes um, or whether they you know are considered to be efficacious for a specific condition and things like that. So because of that, um, there's really you know no regulation in terms of the quality or the efficacy of supplements. We've sort of taken it upon ourselves to do research, and there are companies that are you know, very invested in making sure that they're putting out quality products, and so they take it upon themselves to do third-party testing for authenticity, potency, purity, and they have basically created a system for themselves that where because of their quality controls and the methods that they're using, they're considered to be pharmaceutical-grade supplements, meaning that they meet those same quality control standards as a pharmaceutical medicine. Now, they're not, uh, they don't have to be, uh, in order for a medication to be FDA-approved, it also has to show a certain amount of efficacy for a condition. Sure, like clinical trials yes, or something. Yes, clinical trials. Yeah. And so supplements don't have to go through that, but they do have to, if you're you know, considering them to be pharmaceutical-grade, they have to meet the safety and quality standards. And so um, all of the supplements that we recommend and sell um, in integrative medicine are pharmaceutical grade. Good to know. So next question, we've defined what a supplement is. So who should be taking supplements? I know that's a huge question, but I, I guess my if it's intended to supplement, why isn't a, a well-balanced diet enough for most people, at least mm -hmm. in terms of their vitamin, mineral content, and so on and so forth? So, so who really needs to be looking at supplements as yeah. an option? Yeah, and I think you know the question of why isn't diet enough is a really good one because we diet and lifestyle is really the foundation of our recommendations. So even though this this show is about supplements, I want people to be aware that we are rarely recommending just a supplement without dietary or lifestyle changes or recommendations. And sometimes we only recommend dietary and lifestyle interventions, you know, mm. without any supplements. So definitely that's the foundation. Um, but why, why aren't, why isn't diet enough for most people? I mean, just very quickly, I think, you know, w one issue is that um, maybe it's the dietary choices and also the food themselves aren't as nutrient dense potentially as they could be. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people a lot of times aren't choosing very nutrient rich foods or don't have access to them. Sure. Other reasons that somebody might need supplements up and up above and beyond um, what they're getting from food um, might be certain either medical conditions or uh, medications that somebody's taking that might um, create a higher need for certain sure. nutrients. Certain drugs can, um, deplete, can vitamins, deplete vitamins yeah. and minerals or, you know, CoQ10 or things like that. Um, also, as we get older, our digestive function with digestive enzymes, hydrochloric acid that we make, is just not working as well. And so it you know, what we find, especially, you know, for, for multivitamins is that they really do seem to benefit the older population, but maybe not so much the younger. And probably some of that has to do with just nutrient absorption, not working quite as well as we get older. Um, so those are some reasons. And, you know, I think also there's sort of a question of, you know, a lot of the uh, recommended daily allowances are really there to prevent 
symptoms of deficiency or um, disorders or conditions of deficiency in the majority of the population, but maybe they're not sufficient to optimize overall function. So if we're really looking for optimizing health and wellness, sometimes higher doses are, are kind of um, required for that. Well, let's stick with that for just a moment because that segues nicely into the next thing I wanted to ask, which is about vitamin B supplements. And let's mm-hmm. talk about one in particular, vitamin B12. This is something I recently stumbled upon. Lots of people take B12 supplements, which is important for making normal, healthy red blood cells. Um, and there really doesn't appear to be an upper limit um, in terms of you know a toxicity per se, because mm-hmm. whatever your body doesn't need, you're just going to excrete. Um, but most supplements out there offer something like 8,000% above what would be considered your recommended daily allowance. Do we really need that much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say for the majority of people, no. Okay. Um, so it, it kind of also goes back to the patients that we're seeing. We're not generally seeing you know, your average person off the street that's healthy and doesn't have any health concerns. We're generally working with people that have chronic disease and have been you know, not feeling well for many years and mm-hmm. things like that. But generally, it's for a period of time while we're kind of working on maybe the underlying reason why that deficiency might be there, um, really optimizing the overall lifestyle. And we don't generally see that even people that are ill, that they don't necessarily need to be on something like that forever. It might be something to you know, increase the, the levels of that, that nutrient in their body. And then as their health improves, they're kind of able to sustain that on their own. Makes sense. Now, you're dealing with supplements in a, in a clinic setting. You're dealing mostly with patients who have illnesses, diseases, um, and you're monitoring these patients fairly closely. But I would hazard to say that most patients are getting started on supplements of their own accord. They're mm-hmm. basically just wandering into the drugstore or wandering into the pharmacy and just grabbing medication bottles off the shelf. How exactly do most people get started on supplements? And is that the right way to go about doing it? Right, yeah. I think there's a few different ways that people get started with supplements. It's very common for patients to come in for a first visit and say, I'm taking, they list their supplements and they might not be sure why they're taking it. Um, And I think this is what your um, patient had said was that, you know, my wife recommended it. So it might be somebody Mm -hmm. in their family or a friend that recommended it. Um, They may have read something online that um, that you know re- suggested that this particular supplement was good for this particular health condition. So those I think are probably you know some of the the main ways that people kind of get their information. Um, there are people though that come in not taking anything and they're just curious about it and they want some professional guidance before they start taking supplements. There is such a such a wealth of information online, good and bad. Um, I think we can both agree on that. When you look at people's social media feeds, there's articles, there's blog posts about different supplements that you have to take because it's going to help you do this, this, and this. Where should people be realistically getting their information about these particular supplements? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, not all blogs are bad. I think that, you know, there is some good information, but I think it's just good to understand how to be uh, an informed consumer and really understand, um, you know, what's good information versus not so great information. So I always tell my patients, if somebody's 
making a very strong statement online, whether you know it's something this is going to cure you of everything or this is um, you know going to kill you, those statements are generally not going to be, if they're that extreme, they're generally not going to be true. So that's kind of hmm. something to watch for. Um, but also, if somebody's making a statement about something, they should be able to back that up with some type of evidence. And yeah. so I recommend that they try to go, kind of go down the paper trail and try to figure out, you know, they make the statement, how are they backing that up? And then try to, you should be able to trace that back to some type of study. Online and blogs are, are one way to get information, but you just kind of have to be careful. Um, definitely, I mean, this is kind of speaking from my standpoint as an integrative medicine provider, but you, your, your physician that is trained in integrative medicine is somebody that would be a great resource for this. And it's also, you know, they're, they're going to be able to look at your overall history, your risk factors, your labs, and get a sense for individually for, for you what's going to be the most, um, what's going to be the most indicated and the most beneficial for you. The counter at the local pharmacy or the supermarket where most of your supplements and herbal uh, remedies and so on tend to reside is a pretty intimidating place. Um, And I will confess that I have been sort of guilty of this in the past when I'm recommending a supplement to a patient. um, A lot of times the patient will say, okay, doc, well, you know, there's this many sup, there's this many of this particular supplement at the supermarket. Which one do I pick? And I will confess that I will often say, well, you don't want the cheapest one. You don't want the most expensive one where you want to kind of be is right in the middle. Now, I, I, I get that that might be a little bit of a logical fallacy, but I guess tell me what the best method of choosing a particular supplement should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you want to, if, if you're able to um, get information from your physician or your provider about what it is specifically that they want you to have and you know how many milligrams of a particular substance, for example, they want you to have, because you might say... Um, go get a a vitamin B12 supplement, for Mm -hmm. example, and there's going to be so many different types and so many different dosages. Some are going to be with other B vitamins and herbs and things like that. So the, it really leaves it up to the patient in that case if they're going to um, you know, a drugstore with so many different options to really read the labels. Um, so as much as you can be clear about exactly what you want them to take. Are there, um, are there buzzwords on the labels that I should be alerting people to? Like if it says this... Mm-hmm. stay away. Or if it says this, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one thing is that we kind of, when we were talking about this idea of the third party testi- testing and the um, high quality supplements, authenticity and purity and things like that, some of the over-the-counter supplements will have a label on there that says like it's USP certified or NSF certified. Those types of things are third party audits. So that would be something good to look for. Um, so that's one thing. And, you know, I I guess in terms of stay away, it's hard to say because it's really going to maybe depend on the individual and if they, you know, have a specific need or a contraindication to a specific um, uh, supplement or, you know, substance. Um, But, you know, also it's sometimes hard to get away from and it might not really be a big deal for a lot of people, but some people are sensitive to some of the additives or dyes or things like that. Or, you know, some supplements might have dairy in them and somebody has a dairy allergy. So you just want to make sure that, you know, you're reading the labels to, to make sure that there's not something that could be harmful to that individual. Are there particular supplements that are dangerous or supplements that people should really be avoiding? 
Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that there are some, um, and you know, some of them, like for example, ephedrine um, was one thing you know that we had discussed, and um, that was actually it's it's found in. Um, in a whole plant called ephedra, which is also called mahuang in Chinese medicine. Um, but ephedrine is the very concentrated alkaloid, so it's a very concentrated extract, and it really is very similar to a drug or a medication um, in terms of how potent it is on the body. And it was actually banned by the FDA in 2004. So supplements that contain that isolated alkaloid ephedrine are you know, no longer on the market. It's really but, like a weight loss type of a supplement. Yep, right? so exactly. It's basically speed, right? Yep, yeah. Yes, exactly. It's a okay. stimulant. So something like that would be you know, harmful or dangerous. Um, but, you know, aside from issues like that, um, or, you know, potentially supplements that might be contaminated with other kind of, you know, whether it's lead and supplements that are coming from China or something like that, which has been an issue, um, unless, you know, it's something like that, really the danger with supplements kind of comes with some of the interactions between a medication and a supplement that somebody's deciding to take, or it could be that they have a medical condition where, you know, the supplement could be harmful to them. The one that always sticks out to me is St. John's wort. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never prescribed St. John's wort, but Mm -hmm. I know that it was very popular at a time because it had some antidepressant properties. And then suddenly you're hearing all these issues with drug interactions. Mm -hmm. And now I I think it's, you know, pretty well stated throughout all the medical literature. These are all the different interactions that can take place with various medications Mm -hmm. and St. John's wort. So I don't know if that's something yep. that people are still taking, but mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. yeah. So that's one. And the reason that that has so many interactions is because it affects the activity of an enzyme called CYP450, where mm-hmm. a lot of drugs are metabolized through that same enzyme. And so um, it can either, it basically for most drugs, it's going to speed up the, the metabolism of them so that they're excreted from the body more quickly. Um, one of the, you know, really common ones is oral contraceptive pills are metabolized through that uh, pathway. And so, you know, sometimes people are taking oral contraceptive pills for more PMS and mood symptoms versus, you know, and maybe contraception as well. um, But they may be taking the St. John's wort and the pill at the same time. And it's making the birth control pill not effective. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That that could be a problem. Yeah. Given your expertise in this area, what are some supplements that the listeners should be considering or looking into. Give us your top three or top five, you know, recommendations of what you consider to be good supplements that the general public should be looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say that probably there's, you know, maybe not one that I would always recommend for the general public. Mm-hmm. I think that um, we want the supplements to be recommended for a particular reason and, f- you know, generally with a goal in mind of improving some aspect of health. Um, and we generally use them for a specific amount of time. So it probably isn't going to be for their whole life that they're going to be taking this supplement, but maybe a few months. Um, and then, and then, you know, they might not need it anymore. So I just want to make that clear that generally it's not as though we're kind of making these recommendations that all adults or, you know, all people over the certain age or something should be taking these supplements. Um, but that being said, there are certain ones that are, you know, pretty common that we recommend. Um, again, they're going to be individualized, but um, one of them is probably going 
going to be probiotics and prebiotics. Um, in integrative medicine, we are very focused on gut health. Um, we'll sometimes say that the road to health is paved with good intestines. So <laughs> definitely we are always working to optimize the digestive function and absorption because that's how we get all of our nutrients. It's you know probably how a lot of our inflammatory systems are regulated and things like that. So um, probiotics are a big one, but it's such a huge category. If somebody comes in and says, I took a probiotic and it didn't do anything, and I ask them which one and they don't know, it really doesn't mean anything because there are specific probiotics that are used in specific strains for specific health concerns. Sometimes, you know, just using a general multi-strain um, lactobacillus probiotic is going to be indicated. Sometimes you want, you know, a really kind of particular one. Um, so even though it's something very common that we prescribe, there's probably going to be a whole lot of um, kind of detail and discernment to that. Absolutely. It's something we could make an entire topic mm -hmm. of in and of itself. What about like calcium and vitamin D supplements, for mm -hmm. instance? I've heard that it's a good recommendation for folks, especially older women, to be taking calcium and vitamin D supplements mm -hmm. for bone health. Is that yeah. reasonable to say? Yeah. So I think that um, it's certainly something that we don't you know, say you shouldn't do, although we're kind of starting to question it a little bit more, especially in the realm of calcium. Um, it just seems that a lot of the bigger studies haven't really shown a clear benefit for the majority of the population with calcium supplements to prevent falls and fractures, but there are certainly certain populations that still benefit, um, especially older adults and people that are not that are very sedentary. So, for example, somebody in a nursing home or things like that. That there's a very clear benefit there, but for the general population, um, we're kind of you know while we may prescribe them for specific reasons, it's mostly going to be trying to get calcium from food for the most part. Okay. Um, we usually don't, you know, for the general population, recommend getting more than maybe about 500 milligrams of calcium a day from supplements and try to get the rest from food. Oh um, yeah. So, you know, in terms, so that's calcium. With vitamin D, um, that's another huge area, and it's probably, you know, one of the more common supplements that we do recommend. But again, um, we will generally recommend it for specific reasons. We don't typically screen everybody for vitamin D deficiency or recommend across the board that everybody takes vitamin D. Um, there's, you know, certain, of course, osteoporosis and things like that would be a reason to check someone's vitamin D. Um, but also um, there's some association with low vitamin D and chronic pain syndromes or diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Um, also um, atopic dermatitis like um, eczema, allergies, um, and even recurrent upper respiratory tract infections. Um, there's an association between low vitamin D and a lot of different conditions. So in that case, we might test the vitamin D as well. And then if it is low um, or suboptimal, then we might supplement with it. So as we look to kind of wrap things up a little, I, I, I want to do a, a little bit of a lightning round uh, game here. So I, I went on the internet the other night and I googled top five supplements and I grabbed one of the first hits that I saw. And it was an article that sort of said these are the top five supplements uh, uh, most popular based on... Um, purchasing information in the year 2018. So let's talk about each one of these. I'll kind of give you the one thing and then you can kind of talk about, you know, if it's good, if it's bad, if it's overrated and just kind of give me your your quick thoughts on it. So the first one is 
a daily multivitamin. Mm-hmm. What's your take on daily multivitamins? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we do recommend multivitamins sometimes, so it's not as though I'm against them at all. Um, but in general, probably for the average person, um, a daily multivitamin is not going to be extremely beneficial. It's going to be more important to optimize the diet and the lifestyle and things like that. How about folic acid? Folic acid does seem to be beneficial. I think the evidence is clear for um, using it before and during pregnancy to prevent neural tube defects. Um, Aside from that, we don't really recommend it generally in isolation, Um, you know, unless somebody's taking a medication and that is depleting their folic acid and they need to take it. But in that case, generally, their physician has already prescribed it for them. Um, But I think that folic acid and the B vitamins in general are, are beneficial for certain health conditions. One you mentioned already was um, probiotics. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't need to retread on that necessarily. But one question I would ask is, you know, the probiotic aisle at the health food store is a very intimidating place. Mm -hmm. Um, They're expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, They all have weird names. Mm -hmm. What are you telling people as far as probiotic? I I realize that there may be specific recommendations for specific things, but is there sort of a general probiotic that might be of value to people? Yeah, I think people could always try one. And, you know, I generally say try something for maybe six to 12 weeks or so and see how you feel. If you're not really noticing any improvement by that point, then I, you know, might as well just stop it because it's probably not doing a whole lot for you. Um, but if you want to just sort of try one that's kind of a general all purpose probiotic um, for general health, um, you could look in, in that case, you may want to look in the refrigerated section. And you probably want to look for one that has um, maybe five to ten different strains and a combination of um, lactobacillus, bifidobacterium. There might be others. Sometimes they'll put streptococcus probiotics or um, saccharomyces um, boulardii probiotic in there. But um, you kind of want to look for the, the lactobacillus and the bifidobacterium. The fifth one is one we kind of already talked about, and Mm -hmm. so I won't spend much time there. It was ephedrine, um, Mm -hmm. and we mentioned it was a weight loss supplement, and it's really been banned for the most part um, by the FDA. But there was one more I wanted to throw in for good measure because it's something I just read about this morning, um, and that's omega-3 fatty acids. And I just read this, and I'm going to read you an excerpt from um, this quick summary. The omega-3 pill... Um, Vascepa, V-A-S-C-E-P-A, um, approved to treat very high triglyceride levels, significantly lowered the risk for cardiovascular events in statin-treated patients who were at high risk for CV, or that's cardiovascular disease. During five years of follow-up, the primary endpoint, which was um, uh, cardiovascular death, MI, stroke, or um, some other cardiac event, was 25% lower in people who were taking omega-3 fatty acids. So a pretty impressive result from... Um, a pretty robust study. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be published in the New England Journal. So mm-hmm. that's a that's an interesting thing mm-hmm. about omega three fatty acids. So yeah, and that's perfect because um, I didn't I haven't read that study yet, and I wasn't um, aware that it was about the triglycerides. But the effect of the omega three fatty acid supplements on triglycerides and lowering them is one of the you know kind of top applications for them, and one of the things that I find find them to be most beneficial for. Um, so so there's 
a pretty big body of research in addition to that study that show suggests that they're effective for that. The issue is just that the dose needs to be fairly high. So I think it's something like, I don't know what that study showed, but it's something like 3.4 grams. So 3,400 milligrams of omega-3 fatty acids per day is what generally has been shown to lower triglycerides. So most people, when they come, you know, they're maybe taking 500 to 1,000 milligrams of fish oil. So sometimes, you know, they say, well, I've tried it and it didn't work, but it might not be because they, it might be because they weren't taking the, the right dose. A couple more that I want to throw in here for the lightning round. One is, it's not really a supplement per se, but the idea of superfoods. So you read a lot online about certain foods, fruits, vegetables, etc., that are allegedly better for you than others. They're called superfoods. Can you talk about that for just a minute? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so usually these are foods that are high in, um, they're usually, you know, beneficial compounds. So generally antioxidant rich, um, they might also have a lot of other micronutrients, but generally, um, you know, it's because of they're they're rich in some sort of, of nutrient. Um, because of marketing and, you know, I'm not sure, maybe different industries, but there is sort of a preference for superfoods to have some sort of exotic, you know, feel to them. And most of them are, you know, kind of from tropical areas, rainforests and things like that. So the acai berry, um, noni, uh, moringa, these are all, you know, examples of superfoods. And um, I think that, you know, sure, they're beneficial, but also, you know, they're coming from pretty far away. And also with some of them, there's actually, you know, some issues with the harvesting and an impact on the environment and some of the local communities there. So there are a lot of foods that you can get that are closer to home and um, just as beneficial, if not more, they just might not have the marketing that goes around them. So that would be, you know, with a lot of those berries, it's going to be, you know, things like blueberries or blackberries, um, you know, cranberries berries, that type of thing. Um, also, um, you know, something like chia seed is also kind of has this more exotic feel to it um, because it's, it's generally more found in um, Central and South American areas, um, which I think it's it's great. It's very nutrient rich, um, but there are a lot of seeds that come from more local areas that are also beneficial. Um, flax seed, for example, or even, you know, sunflower sesame seeds. So I think that these foods do have benefit and definitely can be part of, you know, a, a good balanced eating style, but, you know, I don't think that there's anything specifically, you know, special about most of those foods. Okay. So mm -hmm. not, not necessarily a, a magic bullet for mm -hmm. most things. What about, um, bodybuilding and weightlifting supplements? I mean, you go to the health food store, you see just tons and tons of these things all over the place. So, you know, creatine, um, or just whey protein. I mean, mm -hmm. I, What's the take on all this stuff? Yeah. Um, with the proteins, um, there's not a whole lot of sort of like what I was saying about the nitric oxide precursors and bodybuilding. There's not a whole lot of evidence showing that some of these things are going to be benefiting the average person. There's some evidence that whey protein can be beneficial in um, elderly or people that are even, you know, age 40 and above that are, are starting to lose muscle mass and having issues with, you know, exercise tolerance or in people that have gone through cancer therapies and are suffering from cachexia and kind of that wasting that comes a lot with, um, with, um, cancer treatments, but, um, and, you know, cancer itself. Um, but for the average population and for somebody really trying to use it for bodybuilding, probably not going to be, you know, 
super important um, above just kind of, you know, getting a good balanced, potentially protein rich diet. Um, and then also with those, you just need to be careful, for example, with the creatine, it's metabolized through the kidney. So you just want to make sure that you're not getting too much um, because it, it can be hard on, on kidney function. And then a lot of those are just loaded with caffeine and sugar to kind of help stimulate and give you short term mm. energy. And so, of course, you know, with too much caffeine, you need to be careful about cardiovascular system and, and other issues as well. Yeah. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Good to know. That's about all the information that we have time for today. Um, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Michelle Crowder Davila. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great. So this is your chance to give out any free advertising that you want to give out if you have a website or other way people can track you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our website um, for integrative medicine is beaumont.org slash integrative dash medicine. Um, and you can find you know just general information about what our department does and um, um, bios of the different physicians that are there. Um, and, you know, for new patients, they can download their intake forms and things like that. Um, we do also have a newsletter that is sent out, um, not too frequently, but, you know, with just some news and information, you can sign up there. Um, and then just our general phone number is uh, 248-964-9200. And that's the number you can call to um, schedule at any of the locations um, or with questions. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I also want to remind you, the listener, to please send along any questions or suggestions to our email address, which is podcast at beaumont.org. And one of these days in a future podcast, Dr. Asha Shahjahan and I will answer our mailbag. We are not ignoring the mailbag. We are definitely keeping tabs on your questions. So coming soon. Now I will leave you with today's healthy thought. The indisputable fact is that the health supplement industry is booming. With so much information that's making its way out to people via the internet and social media, people need to remember that some health supplements may be beneficial for some people, but there's also a dark side to supplements, either in the form of undesired side effects or to your wallet. Before you start taking a new supplement, you should consider consulting with your physician or an expert on health supplements, such as our guest today, to see if it may be the right choice for you. Thank you. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast. 